upon sacred burial ground of the First Nation, with walls that house hidden satanic secrets, as well as the residual energy of 998 violent murders. When it comes to paranormal legend and lore, the West Virginia State Penitentiary has no equal. Hello? There are footsteps in this room right now. It's been a decade since I last investigated this massive prison with haunted grounds that stretch a quarter mile long. But on November 20th, for one night only, I'm returning to host a very special event in which only 20 total tickets are being offered to join me for an overnight investigation of the legendary West Virginia State Penitentiary. I saw it. I mean, I, I'm shaking. It changes the way you think, bro. Oh, yeah, it does. Yeah. Definitely. And that's what typically screws with your head. Tickets are on sale now. To get yours while they last, visit www.aghtelevision.com. Hey, what's up everybody? Chad Kalick here, and welcome back to the Intercrowded Room Podcast for a very special Halloween episode, which we are going to delve into a topic that I typically avoid, but I get the most questions about consistently every month, and uh, you know, with it being the night after Devil's Night, Halloween... Uh, seems like a good night to talk about the demonic, and specifically some recent footage that I saw that I want you guys to see, because if I was a betting man, I would say that it is of a person who appears to me to be demonically possessed. How do I know that? Well, we'll, we'll get into that. Um, every month that goes by, I get at least one message from either somebody who knows somebody who they believe to be demonically possessed or somebody who believes that they themselves are demonically possessed and they want they want my help with it and i always pass those people along to the people that i know who deal with that and that's you know honestly because i just don't have a calling to do that. That's highly religious work, and my involvement on past demonic cases have been, well, first off, involuntary with my own mother, um, but on other cases that I have been a part of that involved demonic possession, I was honestly there from an educational standpoint. I was trying to document what was going on, compare it to what I saw, uh, you know, with my own family but also share with the world what I saw and what I could document so they could, you know, determine what this thing is. And I have a very interesting or unique, I guess, kind of viewpoint on the determination of possession, um, which is very hard. It's very hard to determine if someone is legitimately possessed or not, 
especially when the religious view of it and the medical view of it could both coincide, which we'll talk about that a little bit too. But what is the demonic? I think that's like the first question to start with. You know, I think most people, when they think of the demonic, they think of the Hollywood version, right? Which is Catholic-based, the belief in, uh, you know, leaders of legions of demons that are all under Satan's service and they're they're out there to, you know, uh, capture your soul and force you to ultimately, in the end, uh, commit the greatest blasphemy that there could be, which is suicide. That is the end goal of the demonic. And the reason I don't like referencing the Hollywood version of it is just because I think there's, you know, if you're not Catholic, what does a name like Realm mean? What does Bilal mean? It doesn't mean anything. But still, no matter what the doctrine is, and uh, some of you may not know this, but I was a religious studies minor in college, and I was fascinated that the concept of the demonic exists in almost every major religious doctrine out there. And what we're really talking about is just an intelligent manifestation of evil. Just evil. And if you don't believe in, quote, the demonic as presented through the Hollywood lens, I would think most people can believe that evil exists. And that evil, just like, you know, love, uh, can overtake someone. It can overtake them. Um... But obviously, we're talking about something stronger. We're talking about someone who just loses the ability of free will. Right? That's a that's a big, big kind of thing that um, clearly aids in the defining of possession. Um, but how do you recognize it? Right? How do you recognize demonic possession? See, this is the part again that's so hard about it. It's why I have. Tons of friends who always want to talk about the possession cases that I've been on. And and it's something that I find hard to talk about because there are things in this world that you can prove. And there are things in this world that you can't prove, but you know, right? There's things you can't prove, but you know. And you know they can't be proven as well, <laughs> you know? So it's like whenever someone says... Well, come on. I mean, did you really experience this, this, or this, or this? And you're like, you know, yes. And you can see the doubt in their eye, and you can see that they think somewhere in the back of their mind that you're you're just lying. You know, what is the purpose of having that conversation? So, uh, I stopped a long time ago trying to convince people of things that I've seen. Um, I found it to be much more effective to just tell people what I believe in. Period. And if they are inspired, uh, which I hope that they're inspired to go find out the answers for themselves, then that's a victory. Um, if not, and they just disbelieve me, well, then, you know, nothing gained or lost. They were, if they were a disbeliever in the beginning, then that's not a loss for me. And I understand that. I understand. I understand. Like, I really do. When, when people don't believe in ghosts or uh, possession. I mean, remember, before moving to my house in Persia... I didn't believe in any of that shit. I mean, I not only that, I just thought it was all comical, man. I mean, I just, I am the most unlikely person you've ever met in your life to wind up having, you know, a career in uh, paranormal investigating. Um, 
the only thing as a child that about me that would have made sense, you know, as to what I became as an adult is I've always had curiosity. I've always had an overwhelming amount of curiosity to the point that I'm, you know, unable to even control it at times. Like even when I know that, you know, snooping around something could be detrimental to me, I just, if I have that that itch, I just, I have to scratch it. And I've always been that way. And I think that's really how I got further and further in the paranormal community is after experiencing so much at my house uh, in Persia, Iowa, after leaving, I just, I had so many questions and I felt like the only way to get answers to those questions would be to continue on experiencing the paranormal but in different places and different locations so i had a different reference point to see what happened at my house versus anywhere else and that is really how the paranormal i guess side of my career started it was just trying to understand everything that was going on you know but it's weird now because having been on several demonic cases and having dealt with the demonic in my you know house in Persia when I say there are things that I can't prove to you but I know and I recognize I'll, I'll tell you a story as to what I'm talking about when I was on when I went on the fighter and the kid uh, podcast with uh, Brendan Schaub and Brian Callen um, that whole thing happened kind of fast. I, I was a fan of, of that podcast and I was listening and I forget what it was, but they, they were talking about something to do with ghosts or the paranormal. And I messaged, um, I wrote an email to Brendan shop, um, via the, the fighter and the kid. And I didn't think it would go like directly to him or anything. Um, but it went directly to shop and within like 10 minutes of me sending the email, I got an email response back and they booked me the following day. And I was like, Jesus, that was fast. And at that time, that podcast was like the number one podcast in the country. So I was like, this is crazy. So I didn't even really get to discuss with them what they wanted to know or what, or what we were going to focus on. Cause I would have preferred focus on, um, Sir No Face at the time. That's what I was promoting, um, which we got to talk about a, a little bit at the very end of the podcast. But in the beginning, right away, they start asking me questions about how I got involved, which leads to my family story, which leads to my mother's story. But as I was, you know, talking to them, they asked me the question, what is the scariest thing that you've ever seen? Now, when people ask me that question, a lot of the times I know what they mean. They mean, you know, did you see someone float? Did you see something fly across the room? Did you, you know, hear a voice? Like that type of stuff. But that isn't the scariest thing. Like that stuff to me is fascinating and fun. Like it's it's frightening in the moment. It's shocking, I should say that. It's just, it's just in the moment, the second it happens – it's just surprising. So, you, you know, you jump and you get, like, amped up. But that is, that is truly cool shit. Like, that doesn't scare me. It doesn't scare me at all. In general, what scares me is when I feel a familiarity with 
something all of a sudden that's in the room or somebody. And when that familiarity is lost, and what I mean by that is I was explaining to, it was kind of actually funny to me after the fact, but I was explaining the first time I had walked into the room and saw my mother under like, you know, possession. And it's not something, it wasn't because she was like floating or, uh, you know, she was speaking in a weird language in which I later actually, you know, did determine it was Aramaic. It's a long story as to how I got to that, you know, belief. But regardless, that isn't what it was. It was, as I explained to them, it was just looking in her face and it wasn't, it wasn't her. And I remember telling the story to Brian and, and Brendan and I got to that part and I said, I just looked, I looked in her eyes and it wasn't her. And Brendan's like, it wasn't her. And I'm like, no, man, no. And I go, and you guys, you know, if you looked at your mother, you'd know if it's her, right? And they're like, yeah, like, yeah, it just wasn't her. And it terrified me. And he goes, it wasn't her. I go, no. And he pauses and goes, who was it? <laughs> like I have any fucking idea. You know what I mean? Does it matter? It's not her. So it doesn't matter. But it was just funny to me because it's not his fault. If you don't have a reference point as to what I'm talking about, like, again, how do you wrap your mind around it? So... I just thought it was funny. It wasn't her. Nope. Who was it? <laughs> like I could name an individual. It was just, it wasn't her. And that's a terrifying, a terrifying moment when you look and you're like, man, I know. I mean, this is my mother, right? There's nobody on planet Earth that I know better than her, you know? And uh, that was, you know, terrifying. Absolutely absolutely terrifying and it's something that i would recognize again like if i looked into the eyes of my wife or my brother like if they weren't there i would know it because i've seen it and then just weird stuff you know that that happens when you get involved in demonic cases you know lorraine is right there is truly bizarre things that will start happening in your life but to me every time i work on my family's case, and I delve into it with my life like I am right now with Harbingers and during American Ghost Hunter and, you know, the Laura case that I did, a couple other demonic cases that I did after that, there's always one thing that happens that lets me know for a fact that it's the same entity. It is doppelganger you guys have heard about this if you haven't what uh, doppelganger is is either visually or audibly either you will see somebody or hear somebody that you know but it'll be an interaction where it's not them and what i mean by this is i remember during the i am six case and Shortly after the, uh, we did another case of demonic possession of the paranormal state. I think it was just outside of Cleveland. Um, 
but that was the one where the family tried to just kick Ryan out for, you know, looking into their past. But I, there was a time where I was talking to Mary Beth on the phone and uh, my manager called and I said, uh, MB, I need to take this call from Kurt. She said, okay, just call me back when you're done. And I clipped over and I started talking to Kurt and the phone is just ringing on the other line, the call waiting, just beep, beep, like nonstop. It just keeps happening. And I look over as I'm talking to him and I see it's her number. And, you know, I click back over and she's like, hey, what are you doing? And I could hear she was somewhere busy, like, and I was just talking to her, um, she and her son were driving in their car. They were driving home, but she, she was somewhere busy where it sounded like she was in a shopping store or whatever. And I'm like, what am I doing? I'm like, I'm on the other line with Kurt. Like I just said, I'll call you back. And she's like, okay. And she just pauses. I'm like, are you all right? And she's like, yes. And I'm like, okay, I'll call you back. And I clicked over and there was something back in my mind. I was like, man, that didn't. What, what what happened there? That was weird. But I finished my phone call, and then I called her right back, and she answers, hello. And she's in the car again with her son. I could hear her son talking, and, and I'm like, hey. She's like, yeah. I'm like, what did you just call me for? You know, she's like, I didn't. I'm like, whoa, what? And I'm like, where are you at right now? And she's like, I'm driving. And I knew she was because I could just hear the ambient sound, you know, of her driving in her car and her boys with her. And I'm, I, I was just so freaked out. I'm like, and I also knew that I, if I tell her that I'm talking to Kurt, that's important. She knows that. She's not going to just keep interrupting and blowing my phone up. But I was just like, oh, man, God dang it. I know this is going to go down. Um, you know, other beyond Doppel, I'd say another doppelganger story that just recently happened it was two months ago and i knew it was coming man i knew because of what we experienced during the filming of harbingers which you guys will all see i knew it i, I just knew some rough stuff was coming and it was not going to end when i got home and it happened with laura Actually, it's happened twice with Laura. God, I'll tell you the other one as well, too, during American Ghost Hunter. Actually, let's start with that. During American Ghost Hunter, um, I may have may have shared this before on the podcast. I don't know. But during American Ghost Hunter, um, we used to live in a place uh, in Mindanao over in, in Marina del Rey. And this place had a big whirlpool, uh, which was just awesome for my back and my feet and I love this thing man I mean I lived in this thing whenever I could I, I was always down there and uh, I had just wrapped up just wrapped up finishing American Ghost Hunter and uh, Laura said you know you want me to make dinner while you, while you go hit the whirlpool and I said oh yeah definitely and she's like okay I will uh, text you when it's done and I'm like okay perfect so I went down and I'm sitting in the whirlpool for maybe four or five minutes. I go underwater and uh, I'm just staying underwater as long as I can, just letting the heat just go over my whole body. And I come out and I could see, uh, I had my ringer off, but I could see from the side of my phone where it's sitting on this chair that's lighting up. And I look over 
and it's like 10 missed phone calls from Laura and just a ton of text. And I don't even see what the texts say. I just know right away this is bad. There's no way Laura would be calling me this many times if something bad didn't happen. So I grab my phone, hop out of the whirlpool, and just take off sprinting for my, uh, you know, my apartment. And I get to the door and I open it up, and Laura is sitting in the corner. She got her knees tucked under her arms, and she's in tears. And I'm like, "What is going on?" And she's like, oh, "You tell me, like, what you know, what, what happened, what happened in Iowa, and all this stuff." And I'm like. Laura, tell me what's going on. And she said that when I was in the hospital, um, or not the hospital, geez, where'd that word come from? See, it's weird shit. <laughs> That's a weird word to pop in my head. Uh, she said that when I was in the hot tub, that as she was cooking dinner, if you look, if you can kind of, I guess, imagine this in your head, uh, where our kitchen was and like the 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 counter where you would cut up meat and stuff to the left at about I would say 11 o'clock there was a hallway and that was a hallway from our bedroom that went into our bathroom and she said that when I was down in the hot tub where she knows where I am that she looked over and saw me walk from our bedroom into the bathroom in which I looked at her and smiled. She said, it was you, but it wasn't your smile. And I was like, you're kidding me. And she's like, no. And I knew you weren't in here. I knew you weren't. I mean, this is Laura, man. Like she's the most skeptical person I know, the most grounded human being I know. She was absolutely freaking out. And then two months ago, the same thing happened where uh, she didn't see me, but I walked in the house and she was like, man, I just, I hate when you work on this shit. I'm just like, what? And she said she was sleeping and she heard my voice next to her ear lean down and say, wake up, Laura. And I never call her Laura, ever. I call her baby. That's just what I always have. That's what I call her. And that's what she said. She goes, I heard it, and I just sat straight up, and I was like, what the hell? You don't call me Laura. I knew it wasn't you. She goes, I thought somebody was in the room with me, and but it was your voice. And I'm like, yeah, yeah this, is, this is happening. Now, again, the reason I don't like telling these stories is because can I, can I prove any of this to you? Well, no, of course not. But God is my witness. I mean, I, these things happened, you know. And I know that. And I know that about these cases. And there's other stuff, too. It's like, uh, which I never knew was real until I was told this. Uh, when I was in um, college, I was speaking to a Catholic priest about uh, possession. And and he was telling me, you know, how I could, because I was talking about, you know, telling him that I wanted to go to different possession cases and he advised against it. But uh, I asked him how I would know if it was real or not. And one of the things he pointed out is he said, well, uh, you know, the demonic, they're of a hive mind. Like they all, you, it's like the Borg, like in Star Trek. And he said, if you're ever on one demonic case and, and the demonic knows you and you go to a different case, they'll know you as well. Like, like if you're on a case with a girl named Sally that's possessed, 
you know, you could walk into a different demonic case and that person who's possessed could look at you and say, I haven't seen you since you were at Sally's. You know what I mean? Like stuff like this. So that's, I was like, Jesus, that'd be terrifying. Well, I believe that happened at the Laura, I am six case with Laura Mooney because she was so gracious and excited to meet everybody and hug everybody and when you'd walk in the door, I mean, you would think that this girl's perfectly fine. Now, remember, before I ever met her, I got to the house. With, Ryan and I were the first ones to get there. And at the time, uh, Laura wasn't even home. Uh, she was somewhere. I believe she might have been at the local church. Um, but Ryan and I had a chance to go through the house, and he showed me where everything happened. And that's when he took me to the basement. And for some reason, if you watch that footage during that episode... You can hear Ryan say to me, Chad, where is it? Where is it? Where is it now? And that's because whatever it was had focused on me and it was grabbing my hand and it pushed me. And Ryan quickly realized that this thing was connected to me in some way. And he's saying, where is it? Right. Well, when I, you know, when I met Laura, you know, she hugged everybody you know, was so happy to see everybody. And when she saw me, she wanted nothing to do with talking to me, with welcoming me, introducing herself. I mean, every time I was in the room, I would catch her staring at me with these just hatred eyes. That she did not want me there. And she did not welcome me there. I was the only person that she didn't hug and welcome that like came in. She just went right past me. She hugged Serge to the left of me, and then it was Katrina, yeah, to the right of me. And I was just like, God, that's weird. That's so weird. And I've, I was on another case that uh, isn't a publicly known case that I went to. And the person who said they were possessed, when I walked in, asked me, how's your mother doing? This is before American Ghost Hunter came out. So they knew nothing about the case. And they said to me right away, how's your mother doing? Which is not something you just ask when you meet someone for the first time. <laughs> first question out of your mouth. Um, you know, so I experienced these things. And uh, the same name has kept coming back into play. When I was in our house in Persia, Iowa, when the gentleman from Nesper came to our house, Red Lorraine's, their field research team, they wrote down that there were uh, three names that were mentioned, uh, but two more than other. There was one that was mentioned once. And the one name that was mentioned once was Bilal. The other name that was mentioned, uh, which is mentioned often in uh, possession cases, was Legion, which that could mean essentially uh, that the the demon is basically letting a person know that we're all here. You know, we're all in this together. So which demon am I? It doesn't matter. I mean, we're one of the same minds. So legion, that's who's here. A legion of demons. The other belief is that that is actually Lucifer himself saying, I am legion. Um, but legion is often spoken. I, I, I have a tendency to, to believe that it actually just kind of means... Uh, we're all here, you know, when you say, what is your name? It's, it's a way to answer without naming a name. 
but the name that I've heard the most, that was repeated the most, and, um, and I've never told you guys this, so this is definitely new stuff. Uh, it's in the notes. It's in all the notes from, you know, the Nesper Field Research Team. Raum, R-A-U-M, a demon named Raum. And how odd is it that I've been on a total of six demonic cases on all six of them, the name Raum came about. Whether it was the person either saying that their name was Raum or they were possessed by Raum or they were saying that uh, one person said Raum watches over, like that it, it's that this person was possessed but they believe the house was also under their control in which they named, they said Raum is watching over. Um, how's that possible? You know, how is that possible that this unique entity named Raum would be at every demonic case that I go to? And it's not like that's an even well-known demonic name. There's a lot of other names that are, are way more known than Raum, you know, uh, Bilal, Beelzebub, Mephistopheles, like there's, you know, there's a lot of classic names that we've heard about this stuff, but uh, beyond that, I can name, you know, five other demonic names before I would name Realm. Um, but that specific demon has continually showed up in my life, and uh, that scares me, that stuff scares me. So when people ask, <laughs> you know, ask me, why don't you do demonic cases? Well, it, because I, there's a there's a familiarity, there's a a personal connection to it of nothing but bad. Um, it came up in uh, the Laura case. I, I she had she listed a bunch of names. She said Legion. I remember when we were outside. There's a scene in the in the actual episode where she starts having one of her convulsive attacks and her neck's swollen up like a puffer fish. If you look through the window, you could actually see me throw a cigarette. And I go running inside because I was having a smoke at the time. And while the... I don't know if anybody caught it or not. I think they probably did, but the EMTs were called. And I've discussed this before because it was probably one of the most fucking awkward moments in my life is when Lorraine's in there and... Everybody, the whole cast of Paranormal State, the whole film crew, the parents, Laura's mother, who I believed was truly possessed, and, you know, the EMTs walk in after they got a call saying, we got a girl here that's not breathing. And they walk in and they see this girl with burst blood vessels in her eyes and her face is as red as an apple, and they're like okay, what's going on? They need to know what's going on because they need to know how to treat her, right? If You can't just say, oh, she can't breathe. Well, like, does she have any illnesses? Does she have any, you know, is she sick? Or like, why, you know? And I remember, I think it was Lorraine said, just straight out, she was like, she's possessed by the devil and we're trying to help her. <laughs> and I remember the EMT guy just looked and he was like, Okay, he literally said, he was like, everybody stop right now and somebody tell me what is wrong with this girl so I can treat her. He just didn't get it. He didn't get it at all. But 
during that whole kind of back and forth, um, Lorraine was still questioning her, and I remember sitting in the other room, and Lorraine said, you know, do you know the names? Uh, she was talking to her mother, not her. She said, do you know the names of the demons that possess Laura? Because the idea is that uh, if you're Catholic, you, and during deliverance, you believe that they have to present the name um, to be freed, basically. They have to know the name of the entity. And one of the names her mother rumbled off was Ram. And I about fell off my fucking chair. I was just like, give me a break, man. Jesus. So all that stuff just scares the shit out of me. And that really scared me. In fact, in that episode, it, uh, you know the whole, you've probably seen me say, or heard me say soldier on. Uh, Ryan Buell used soldier on a lot too. Well, that actually came from my father. Because during that case, after being you know, pushed around and grabbed in the basement and then witnessing Laura just, God, she controlled everyone and, and just witnessing all of her, all of her stuff that she was going through and then hearing her mom say, Realm, uh, I was, I was, I wanted to leave. I didn't want to be there. I was, it's not even so much, it's a, it's a scared thing, but it's also like, I need to make a wise decision for myself. Like, God gave me sense, right? <laughs> like, this isn't good. I need to make a wise decision here. And I called my father. And I explained everything to him. And I said, I just I just want to leave. And, you know, my dad said, listen, you know, whether you realize it or not, I believe God put you there for a reason. And one of eight billion people on this planet that somehow wound up in that position put away your fear, soldier on. And it was a very powerful moment for me of hearing my father, who was a soldier, and faced, you know, real fear in the military. And, and I shared it with Ryan, and it became something that just kind of meant something to us. And, uh, but that's where that came from, of just being freaked out, you know, about that case and the whole familiarity you know uh, it was just terrifying um, and the last thing I want to discuss with you guys I often get asked how do people become possessed because the belief is that you cannot become possessed unless you willingly allow something to take over your free will you allow it to and the question becomes well who would do that and I know that answer, and the answer is obviously not somebody well, not somebody together, but who would do that is the emotionally wounded, somebody who's dealt with something that they cannot overcome, they cannot wrap their mind around, something that's forever changed them, and something that eats away at them every day. There's got to be some sort of terror that lets this thing in, whatever this evil is. And, uh, you know, I, I see it all the time. Like, again, it's something that can't be proven. But 
when you've looked into the eyes of a person who's possessed, you recognize it the same way, you know, if you look into your mother's eyes your whole life and you know her your whole life, you would know if suddenly you looked into her eyes and it wasn't her there and it was some other personality. You would know. Same way that you would know that, you know, once you've seen someone demonically possessed, you know what that is. And you know it when you see it. And I've seen it in people. Um, sometimes I can, you know, I'm sure I'm wrong sometimes when I think this, but there's a lot of times I just know I'm right. I know that there's a difference between, you know, being sad or upset or pissed off or, you know, even sedated or drugged up. Um, you know, I think the biggest thing, the biggest thing that allows possession to happen as someone that's hurt so deeply, they just don't give a fuck. They just want out of this world, you know. There's no excitement for tomorrow because tomorrow is just another day to hurt. You know, and there's no belief that it will ever get better. And I've, you know, I've, I've felt pain, you know, and I'm sure all of you guys have felt pain that's close to that. And I think in those, in those dark, dark moments, in the darkest of those moments, that's where that, that's where that intelligent evil is waiting. It's waiting for. It. That's why demonic oppression exists. It's when, you know, the evil of the world is trying to get you to that place, to push you to believe that there is no hope, that it's gone, that every day will be a life of suffering. That's why I think that a big way that people become possessed is also drugs. I think that the more you indulge in substances that push buttons that create outcomes, and what I mean by that is like uh, Coke, do a line of Coke, you're pushing a button, that's going to create an outcome. Like no matter how sick you are, no matter anything, you blow a line of Coke, you're suddenly going to feel like a million dollars and you're going to have energy and the belief that you can do anything. That's pushing a button. That's when you're taking away free will. You're just, you, you found a lever. Same thing with, you know, alcohol or opiates or anything like that. Those are levers. You know, there's no, the choice is to do it. Once you do it, you don't have choice. You know, for example, you can't take a bunch of opiates and then feel physically terrible. You know, you're going to feel high and it's going to feel great. Same thing with alcohol. You can't drink a bunch of alcohol and then go, I choose to feel sober. <laughs> so you're going to be drunk until it wears off. Those are moments where you're giving up that fruit. And guys, this is just theory, right? Theory of Chad Kalick doesn't mean shit. Who am I? I'm just, I'm nobody, right? So take it for what it's worth. This is just my theory. And the moments where you give up free will, those are the moments where I think something else can take the wheel when you take your hands off of it. That's why I think I've seen cases where there are, you know, I'm surrounded by a lot of homeless people in Los Angeles. It's just the way it is. There's 100, almost 100,000 homeless people here now. And you can see when someone's walking down the sidewalk and they're just pissed at the world and they're just cutting loose and screaming and they're angry and there's still an awareness to them. There's still an awareness in their face that they know what they're doing. 
they're pissed and they're angry and they want to let the world know and it's uncomfortable and it's awkward. But that's very different than some cases I've seen. Oh man, jeez, there was a god about two months ago. Fuck, this scared me. I was going outside uh, to meet a friend of mine. He was driving by, and this guy's a baseball card collector, and he wanted me to look at some of his baseball cards. He's a buddy of mine I've known for years. And he goes outside, and I walk around the street corner uh, to my sidewalk, and I'm just not even paying attention. I'm looking for my dude. And all of a sudden, I hear this, this black woman. And uh, she's got a top on that barely covers her. And she's looking at me, and she's screaming, yeah, really, <laughs> all kinds of sexual stuff, telling me that, that I won't do it to her again, and she'll take me to hell with her, and, and it just, it went on, like, really graphic stuff that I don't need to stay here, but, like, describing these horrific sexual things that were done to her, and saying how, but I, but I, but I lived through it, and you fucked up because you changed me, and now I'm a part of you forever, and all this stuff. And she was just going off, and she was like, "I can't wait to burn with you. I can't wait till the flames are peeling the flesh off our body." And I'm just like, "What the hell?" And just getting closer and closer and closer to me, and she got about two feet away from me, and I was like, "Hey, listen, do not take another step towards me. I'm gonna go walk over here. Don't do it. Do not touch me. Do not do anything because I'm starting to freak out." And she never even paused. She just kept walking. And I, I moved out of the way. And her vision didn't even follow me as I moved out of the way. She just kept looking, for, looking forward like she was talking to somebody else. Like not me. Like as it turned out, she was never talking to me. She was talking to somebody imaginary as she approached me. And then my buddy pulls up uh, right at that time. Pulls around the corner in his car. And he pulls over to park around the edge of my street and right as he pulls up she takes two hands and just comes down and smashes his hood and she just starts screaming the same sexual stuff at him and he's like what the hell he rolls his window back up and pulls out and drives up to me and i'm like yeah i don't know dude i could tell you from looking at that girl you know and i know the argument is oh well she's not possessed she's she's crazy she's delusional she's schizophrenic and my argument to that is yeah I would say all that's correct. Those are just symptoms and byproducts of possession. I think there's a there's a difference between being, you know, having bipolar issues versus like in the condition this girl was in. And that's why it's so hard with possession because it can be those medical things. It can be. And that's probably what that, that those are just medical terms we use to call that condition. We go, they're schizophrenic, they're this, they're that. Well, right. But that's also what happens to a person when they no longer are in control of their own thoughts and their own will. So why can't it be that the scientific term is just describing the condition of somebody who has become possessed? Uh, there was just an evil in her will and a look that she had that, God damn, it was terrifying. It was, yeah, it was, it was different. It was different than other things that I've seen. Uh, which brings me to this footage that I wanted to show you guys. Um, there's that YouTube page or YouTube channel that I love, uh, Soft White Underbelly. And this guy, I think his name is Mark Lytle. Uh, Mark is his first name I know. Uh, he interviews people with all kinds of 
problems and and uh, situations, and he's just trying to show. He's just trying to show, you know, the lives of the, you know, the forgotten, the lost, the disenchanted, the the people that are struggling to, you know, to live. It's hard to watch it, but I love it because it's a reminder to me every day of how important it is to not only take care of yourself, but to be good to other people, man, and to, to try to help when you can, you know, and I'm not talking to be a goody two-shoe. I'm not, you know, I, I fail all the time at being the person I want to be. It's just like, that's why my father was my hero, man, because he just always walked the walk of an amazing human being. And, oh, man, um, this footage I saw, it just, when I talk about I know it when I see it, yeah, there's this... Uh, this guy that Mark interviews, and he's he's listed as a poly drug addict. And what that just means is is that he he does he's a trash can man. It's a it's a drug term, a trash can. It just means he does anything, anything you give him, he's addicted to all of it. He does it all at once. You know, he does anything. You know, got a bunch of coke, he'll do that. Got DMT, he'll do that. Got you know opiates, he'll do that. It doesn't matter. Well, this guy is being interviewed, and you can see it, man. You can see it before he ever says a word. You can see it in his his stance, his body, the way he's holding his body, in his voice, his expressions. Uh, you know, he's clearly, you know, drugged up on all kinds of stuff during this interview, but he's never confused. Keep that in mind when you watch this, some of these clips I'm going to show you. He is not confused. He is, uh, and there's nothing that he's saying that doesn't make any sense. Um, he's not crazy in any way. But as you'll see, he does something that is terrifying. Terrifying. At the end of this interview. And I just wanted you guys to see this footage. I believe this gentleman to be possessed. Just my opinion, you know, I, I don't, you know, there, there's no way I can stamp him that and guarantee that. Doesn't, I'm, not, I'm not trying to prove it to you. I'm just telling you when people ask me, you know, about possession and if I think it's real and like all that stuff, you know, my answer is yes. And this is someone that the first time I saw his body language, I was like, oh, man. And he lifts his head and looks into the camera. That my friends, is the look of pure fucking evil. It's hard when you see it, man. To me, it's it's depressing. It's 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 terrifying because there's so much of it. There's so much in the world. The world's hard enough to think that there's evil out there trying to take people out and trying to cause them to commit suicide. Yeah, I think this guy doesn't have much time left, and he's in this condition, as he'll explain, because he's he's losing his wife. He's losing somebody that, as he... Uh, describes is the closest thing that he's ever known to the definition of love is how he feels about her and uh, 
she's dying and there's no cure for whatever she has. So at some point, this guy, yeah, well, you'll see in the interview. Uh, this is what I believe possession to be. Check this footage out. I still don't exactly understand the definition of uh, what love is. I think the closest would be uh, what I feel for uh, my wife. You're married. Yeah, I am now married. A uh, lovely lady who's going to be dead any month. Why is that? Uh, congenital heart failure, kidney failure, liver failure. Uh, her thyroid doesn't produce any chemicals whatsoever. Uh, the doctors told her she had Anxiety disorder, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, a thousand different things. Didn't know what was going on with her. And then come to find out when uh, you put a gun to one of their head and they actually have to look you in the eye and look your wife in the eye and look at the paperwork and go over everything. They're actually pretty good at finding out what's going on. Where are you staying now? Uh, staying, well, last night I stayed, uh, outside here. Um, in a tent or just on the street? No, I just... Or you're taking crystal meth so you, so you don't sleep? Sat down and, uh, went through all my stuff with, uh, someone that I met last night that we were smoking PCP and... I think DMT and some other things and got convinced that everyone was demons. So he said that we should come down here because here would be uh, no demons. Um, I guess for him it's probably like that older black man. This probably has no demons in this area. Me, younger, white guy, um, I am the demon in this area. What's the hardest part of your, of your life right now? The, your, your wife's situation? Yeah, the fact that I have to watch my wife die and I can't do anything about it. I've already figured that out because I'm very, very, very adept at getting people to do what they need to do when I feel like the time has come for me to stop being nice. And it came and it went and it doesn't matter if you're nice or not. If the doctors are a bunch of fucking imbeciles that don't know They don't know. What emotions do you deal with mostly? 
rage. Rage and fucking hate. And undying desire to inflict pain upon this world. So all the pretty people could have 30 minutes of my life. You know? I could put that right through into your brain. And it would be the kindest thing I ever did to you. It's terrifying, isn't it? Again, I can't prove this to you. It's just that is what I recognize. I've seen those eyes. I've seen that look. And that is pure, pure evil that has taken over this man. And uh, I would like to believe there's a way back uh, for him. Uh, I don't know. You know, obviously that's in the hands of fate and destiny. But yeah, I, I think demonic possession is real. And I think it's on display all the time if you know where to look and if you know what to recognize when you see it. Um, Happy Halloween, <laughs> right? So I don't talk about the, the demons that much. I know people are interested, but anyways, um, like I said, we've got two awesome episodes coming up. Uh, we're going to talk more about Kanye West and what he's talking about right now and where I think he's kind of gone wrong in this whole thing. Um, and also, there may in fact be another recording of Sir No Face, which... Uh, that episode is coming up as well, and uh, we will jump into that heavily. So thank you all for listening. Enjoy your candy. Have a happy Halloween, and I will talk to you guys tomorrow. All the best.